Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 8 through 23. A reading from Leviticus. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout your land on the Day of Atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. The 50th year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. In this year of Jubilee, each of you will return to his property. If you make a sale to your neighbor or a purchase from him, do not cheat one another. You are to make the purchase from your neighbor based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. He is to sell to you based on the number of remaining harvest years. You are to increase its price in proportion to a greater amount of years and decrease its price in proportion to a lesser amount of years because what he is selling to you is a number of harvests. You are not to cheat one another, but fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You are to keep my statutes and my ordinances and carefully observe them so that you may live securely in the land. The land will yield its fruit so that you can eat, be satisfied, and live securely in the land. If you wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce? I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest. You will be eating this until the ninth year when the harvest comes in. The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine and you are only aliens and temporary residents on my land. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is Psalm 36, and we will read together responsively by whole verse. My heart shows me the wickedness of the ungodly. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own sight, until his vulnerable sin is found out. The words of his mouth are unrighteous and full of deceit. He is left off behaving wisely and doing good. He imagines mischief upon his head, and has set himself in no good way. Neither does he abhor anything that is evil. Your mercy, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, and your faithfulness to the clouds. How excellent is your mercy, O God! 
The children of men shall take refuge under the shadow of your wings. For with you is the well of life, and in your light shall we see light. Not the foot of the proud come against me, and let not the hand of the ungodly cast me down. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 through 17. A reading from the first epistle of Peter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the Emperor. The Word of the Lord. The Gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Will you please stand for the reading of the Gospel? Church, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. But... 
They put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. If you brought a Bible with you today and you'd like to follow along, open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 9. If you didn't bring a Bible today and you'd like to follow along, there are blue Bibles on that low wooden table in the back. You can go ahead and grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those blue Bibles is our gift to you. We're continuing in a sermon series in 1 Peter, where Peter is writing to these sojourners and foreigners in a strange land. So far, he's talked about our identity in Christ. He's talked about salvation in Christ, and he's talked about community in Christ. And all of that, over and over, is always rooted in Christ. And so now, at the, uh, in the middle of chapter 2, he kind of starts to turn that outward. How do we take these truths that he's telling us, and how do we, how do we live that out in the world? Last week, we concluded in the same place that we started today, by Peter reminding his audience and, and reminding us that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and this is the key part, so that you may proclaim the praises of he who called you out of his darkness and into his marvelous light. N.T. Wright, in summarizing that last sentence, says that Peter is saying that we have been brought into the truest, the truest possible expression of what it means to be a human. So now how do we witness that to others? How do we show that truth to others? How do we proclaim that? Well, we do it with, we do it with words. We do it with deeds. And Peter's saying here that we do it by making sure that, that our more selfish instincts don't get in the way of that proclamation. He says in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that will wage war against your soul. So strangers and exiles, basically what he's saying is the customs of the land that you are now living in are not the customs of the kingdom that you belong to. The way that they do things here is not necessarily the way that you are to do things. He's reminding us that we are citizens of another country and subjects of another king. This passage of Scripture has been brought up a lot in the last two years let's say since March 2020. 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans 13 gets talked about a lot. So today's going to be really fun. Um, there's an old expression that says that two things that you should never talk about in polite company are... Anybody? Politics and religion. Let's talk all about Christians and government. Because that's what Peter's talking about. Now, passages like this one from, from 1 Peter 2, he's giving clear statements, right? Like there's not a lot of ambiguity. He's giving clear guidelines on how we're to live our lives. How that works out for each one of us, for each church, during each period of time in each country, that's a topic for discussion. That's a topic for Christians to come together and, and wrestle with these things and sharpen one another. And that's what we need to be doing. And the topic of how Christians should relate to government is a wonderful way to make every one of you mad at some point. 
because it is, it's so hard for us to, to focus our eyes through the lens of the Bible to the world around us for very long. It's so easy for us to stop thinking as kingdom citizens and start thinking of as people of our day and age and place. And often our sinful desires can get in the way of our more sanctified worldview that we're called to. It's easy for us to change how we think about worldly authorities depending on who that worldly authority is on any given day. At the church that I used to attend on Capitol Hill in D.C., just like at this church, we prayed every week by name for our president. So when I started there in 2011, we prayed every single week for Barack Obama. And I'm sure that some portion of the church probably said those words through gritted teeth. And some people in that church were actively working for organizations that were working against his agenda. So why did we pray for him? Well, because he's the president. And we're told to honor civic authorities. And one of the ways that we honor them is by praying for them. And then in January 2017, in that same church, from one week to another, we switched. One week we're praying for President Barack Obama. The next week we're praying for President Donald Trump. And some portion of the church, probably a different portion, probably said those words through gritted teeth. And some people in the church were now actively working for organizations that were trying to thwart his agenda. So why do we pray for him? Because he was the rightly inaugurated president and we're told to honor civic authorities. This is what we do. And so in this church, in January 2021, we switched again. One week we're praying for Donald Trump, the next week we're praying for Joe Biden. Why? Because he's the rightly inaugurated president. He's our civic authority. And we're told to honor him. And one of the ways that we honor him is by praying for him. We honor our leaders. And we honor them by praying for him. But it can't just be that, right? It can't just be that. Peter is showing that there's so much more to how we relate to the government. And, and, and it has much more to do, and this is the key, it has much more to do with who we are than who they are on any day. Let me say that again. The way that we are called to relate to the world around us, and, and specifically in this case, to those in civic authority, has much more to do with who we are than who they are. Let me give you an example of this. Some of you, some of you know this, that before I was a pastor, I uh, had a career in the restaurant business. And while I lived in Washington, D.C., I worked in a few pretty nice restaurants. And so as a result of that, um, I got to meet some pretty important people. One thing that Washington has a lot of are diplomats and ambassadors. And I've actually dealt with a few of them. And there was one ambassador of a relatively small country who was just the worst. He was demanding. He was entitled. He bossed us around. I mean, the guy was, he was just a pain. And no one was excited when he came around. Not one person, when we'd see his name on the reservation list, not one person was excited. He was, at best, tolerated. Because he acted as though his status as a dignitary from a foreign country meant that he was better than we were. He wasn't taking the opportunity to demonstrate to us how wonderful his nation was by being gracious to us and inviting to us. Are you getting the connection that I'm trying to make here to our lives? 
he wasn't the kind of person that you would ever say, oh, cool, that ambassador's coming. Let me sit down and talk with him and listen to what he has to say. Peter's saying to us that our conduct needs to be Christ-like so that people won't get hung up on our foolish actions, but instead will listen to us when we try to proclaim the excellencies of he who called us out of darkness and into his most marvelous light. If we are indeed strangers and aliens, if we are actually citizens of another country, and if we are called to proclaim the glories, if we are, if we are both foreign nationals and proclaimers, that makes us ambassadors. We get to be ambassadors of Christ. And so we do disservice to that marvelous light. We do disservice to Christ the cornerstone, the one who humbled himself, made himself lower than a servant, the one that we're supposed to imitate. We do disservice to that name when we act like we're supposed to be on top. So how are we supposed to do this? Peter's pretty clear. Verse 13, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, or on account of Christ, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. The Bible is very clear that God has instituted various spheres of authority in his creation, and that one of those spheres is the civic government. Peter says here, and, and Paul says the same thing in Romans 13, that God has actually, to, actually instituted civic governments and given them what's basically called the power of the sword, the power to punish evil and champion what is good. Does this work all the time perfectly? It does not. But that's its role. That's what it's supposed to do. Punish evil and champion the good. I mean, we, each of us, me, you, all of us, everybody, we all have a role that we are to play in, in Christ's story of redemption. We don't do it perfectly all the time either. But each one of us has a role. The role of the civic government is to punish evil and champion the good. And God is pleased to use it for his mission in his creation. Just like he's pleased to use you and me despite our many and frequent failings. And Peter knew this. And Peter would have recognized that the government that he was writing about, the government that he was speaking to his initial audience about, was at the best of times tolerant of Christians. And oftentimes openly hostile to them. The, the Roman government of that time really didn't know how to deal with Christians yet. And so when Peter was writing, there was no like unified policy. That would come in the next hundred years where there was systematic oppression of Christians. But at this time, there were definitely sporadic and, and unpredictable oppression and torture of Christians. Because the Romans didn't know how to deal with them. They didn't quite know what to do with them. Rome was fine with other religions. When you came into the Roman Empire, if you brought your religion with you, that's great. You can worship Osiris or Bast or wherever you want. Terrific. As long as you also worship these gods right here and go to their temples and offer sacrifices. As long as you pray to our gods, you can pray to whoever you want. Christians didn't do that. So they didn't go along with the Roman culture or the Roman norms. Rome didn't like that. So often there was punishment for Christians from the civic authorities. And Peter says to submit to them anyway. It's the most important thing in this passage. Knowing who the authorities are, Peter says to submit to them anyway. Why? 
It's not out of weakness, guys. It's actually out of strength. That's what Peter's been building to. Reminding people who they are, reminding people what the basis of their faith is, who their trust is in, who their cornerstone is, the one that's supporting them. We don't submit out of weakness. It's out of strength. Strength in knowing who we are and in knowing who our king actually is. Because at no point in the biblical commands for us to live like Jesus, at no point are we told that submission is the same as weakness. You know, I... I saw a fair number of powerful people while I lived in D.C., and, and I sometimes found that the more powerful the person was, the less they needed to flaunt it. I talked about that ambassador from this dinky little country um, ordering people around and acting like he was, like he owned the whole world. And no one wanted to deal with him. And, and as you would step back from his behavior and observe it, you would see that, that truly, for all of his bluster, that his behavior made him seem so small and so inconsequential. Contrast that with this story, and this is also true. I was going into a diner one day, and as I was walking in, a man who was standing outside held the door open for me. That man was the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And he held the door for me, and he got out of my way so that I could walk in. And it's not because I, I wasn't wearing this. It's not like I was dressed like a priest and he was trying to... I was just a guy. I, I just looked like a guy who was going to meet his buddies for breakfast. And he looked like a guy who was, however briefly, humbling himself to hold the door for a stranger and let him go in first. And then once we were inside, if it, if it hadn't been for the, the, the two gentlemen seated strategically with the little pigtail earbuds and the bulge under their suit jacket, you would have never known that this guy was third in line from the presidency of the United States. He's just a polite, deferential, middle-aged guy holding the door at a diner. And I think the reason for this is because he knew he was powerful. He knew who he was. And he didn't have to flaunt it. The same with you. It's the same thing with you. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of earthly power that you have managed to accrue for yourself or hope to one day do the same. It has everything to do with who God has made you to be. This is the strength in submission. You are a living stone, Peter says. You are a living stone. You are resting on Jesus, the cornerstone. Peter says that you are a member of the covenant family of God. You are a royal priest. You are part of a holy nation. You are a people that God has called together for his own possession. And so the, the woman who's in the governor's mansion or the, the man who's in the White House, they're, they're only an emperor. They are only an emperor. And so we can show deference to them without fear because submission does not equate to weakness. Submission is not the same thing as weakness. And there's a great example of this from church history and actually from Anglican church history. In the year 1555, two men named Hugh Latimer and uh, Nicholas Ridley, both Anglican priests, were burned at the stake by the order of Queen Mary for committing the treasonous offense of being Protestant. Now, I, I want to be clear here, it wasn't just Protestants that, it wasn't just Catholics that did this to people. The Protestants really didn't smother themselves in glory at this time either. But in this case, we're talking about two Protestant Anglican bishops 
being burned at the stake by a Catholic queen. So, Latimer and Ridley. They were being unjustly punished. And yet, they honored the emperor. They followed 1 Peter 2. They submitted to the civil authority. They allowed themselves to be burned at the stake. And they walked confidently and boldly to that pole on top of the pile of wood. And, and as they were going up there, Latimer turned to the executioner. And he said, make sure to tie my chains really tight so that I'm not even tempted to run away. And as the flames were being lit around them, Latimer turned to Ridley. And he said, and this was recorded, he said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. That's a, it's a King James expression. That basically just means be courageous. So, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and be courageous. Today, he said, today we shall light such a candle in England that by God's grace, I believe, shall never be put out. And it hasn't gone out, because almost 500 years later, these two men are seen as heroes of the English Reformation that helped birth the modern Anglican Church. And it wasn't because they fought for earthly freedom. It wasn't because they sought earthly power. It was because they knew that they already were free. They knew that they were already powerful. And so that they were free to submit. They were free to give of themselves, even to an unjust decree from an unjust ruler. I was counseling someone recently who was really struggling with feeling inferior a lot and was trying to reconcile how it is that we can be Christ-like without, wanting, without feeling like he was getting bullied all the time. And I said, look, Jesus never calls us to be doormats. Jesus doesn't call us to like, just have the crap kicked out of us every day. Jesus actually calls us, this is the really offensive part, Jesus actually calls us not to just be followers and doormats and be bullied. Jesus calls us to go there first. He calls us to be the one to humble ourselves. And so what I was trying to say to him, and I think this, this is borne out in this passage, there is such a thing as a posture of, intentional, of being intentionally deferential or, or of being boldly submissive. And it's very powerful, and it's what Jesus did. It's the life that Christ lived and it's the life that he calls us into. And N.T. Wright says that that is the truest expression of the human life. Peter is calling us into this outward expression of true human life, of being servants of God, and that servanthood then working its way out horizontally and lived for all to see. It's, it's letting the watching pagan world see a genuine way of being truly human. Verse 17, he concludes this part of his letter with four short sentences, each one just packed with importance. Honor everyone. So we're supposed to hold everyone in high regard. Why? Because we're image bearers. Each and every person, every human being worthy of dignity and honor honor them. It says, love the brothers and sisters, which is to, to basically say, love your church family. Love the, the members of this covenantal royal priesthood, your holy nation. Third, fear God. Maybe a better way to say this is revere God. Be in awe of God. And honor the emperor. 
So how do we honor the emperor? What about when the, the emperor is openly hostile to God? Is openly hostile to God and his messengers? Is openly hostile to God, his messengers, and the kingdom that he is creating? Does honoring authority mean that we do every single thing that a civic authority demands? I don't think so. So what's supposed to be our benchmark? Like, what's the tipping point? How do we figure it out? Well, here's a good example from Scripture. Actually, from the life of the guy who wrote this very letter. And I think it's, it's a wonderful example of how Christians are supposed to deal with those in authority. It comes from Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, after Christ has, has, has ascended and the church is being born, Peter and John are in the streets healing people and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the, the high council of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, didn't like that at all. So they get hauled before the Sanhedrin, and the, the high council says to them, you have to stop preaching about Jesus. And the high council forbid them from preaching any more about the crucified and risen Messiah. And Peter and John spoke up and, says whether, and said, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you or to God, that is for you to decide because we are unable to stop speaking about that which we have seen and heard. And in that moment, they honored the Sanhedrin and they revered God, both at the same time. They honored the authorities. They didn't say, you don't have the right to tell us what to do. We're sons of the living God. They acknowledged the authority that the authorities have. But they also showed reverence to God. They basically said, you can judge us on this. You can judge whether we should listen to God or to you. But for ourselves, we can't stop talking about these things because we were there and we heard them and we saw them and we have to tell everybody. We have no choice but to do, but to do anything other than what we are doing. And yet, they still recognize the authority of the civic authority. Boldly submissive, that's what they were being. Now, in that case, those two didn't actually get further punishment. So it has a very happy ending. The Sanhedrin kind of huddled up among themselves and couldn't really figure out anything to charge them with or any reason to beat them further, so they just sent them on their way. But then throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we see Peter and Paul get thrown in prison a lot. And when they do, they don't say, you have no authority to tell me what to do. They went along with it. Because that's how the kingdom of God actually spreads. By being Christ-like, by being boldly submissive. Showing the watching world what it looks like to live a real human life. Living in shalom. Showing deference to one another. Honoring one another. If I haven't made you mad yet, I'm about to. In this country... We have a tendency to make an idol out of freedom. I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that. A lot of people love to quote Galatians 1, either overtly or unconsciously. In Galatians 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And that's true. And it's true because I read it in the Bible. But freedom from what? Or freedom for what? In the Galatians passage, it was freedom from the heavy burdens of keeping the entirety of the Old Covenant. It wasn't the freedom to do whatever I want. 
It was the freedom to be a servant of God. It was the freedom to be a son of God and an heir of all that he wants to give us. It has absolutely nothing to do with the freedom to be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the freedom to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it as long as I don't hurt anybody. And remember, everything that Peter is telling us here, this is, this, is a, this is a path that he's calling us to walk. At no point does Peter say, if you do these things, it will go well for you. He's just writing a letter to exiles. He's writing a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to exiles living in a foreign land. Inspired by that same Holy Spirit that inspired Jeremiah a thousand years earlier or 400 years earlier, to write a letter to the exiles of his day where he says, Thus says the Lord, Seek the good of the city in which I have deposited you. The same thing here. It's the same thing that Peter is saying. Seek the good of the city in which I have placed you. Submit to your local governing authorities. For it is, it is God's will, he says, it is God's will that you silence the, of, the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. So submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's servants. That's the freedom that we have. Not in proclaiming how free we are. Our freedom comes as the freedom to live the life of honoring one another, to submitting one another, living in shalom with one another. And so as we seek to do this in our day-to-day -day lives, be of good comfort and be courageous. Even if you are agonized by the potential consequences of submitting, be like Jesus. Jesus was agonized about the consequences of obeying God. The night before he was executed, he was, the night before he was executed, Jesus was so filled with anxiety that he sweat drops of blood. And yet, he submitted boldly. Because he didn't depend on any human ruler or on any civic institution. He depended on his father. He knew that there is nothing ever that unsettles or surprises God, and he took comfort in his identity. And because of what he went through the next day and then three days after that, because of the fact that he died and was resurrected, we now, as ingrafted Gentiles into this covenant family. We now get to take that same comfort. We get to rest in God's promises. We get to rest in the fact that nothing ever surprises or unsettles God. And we don't have to depend on anyone but our Father. Let me pray for us. God, no matter who we are, it is tough for us. It is easy for us to imagine someone in authority that we would say, well, surely he doesn't mean that guy. Surely he doesn't mean her. It's easy for us to imagine that, Lord. I ask that you would give us wisdom in how we can balance revering you and honoring the emperor. I ask that you would give us boldness in submitting ourselves. And I ask that you would give us openness to be in conversation with one another. 
so that our, our, our views on this, our beliefs in this, our trust in this can be sharpened and honed. And I pray that as you send us out to be the salt and light that you have called us to be, that we would feel equipped to live this out even if we are going to suffer as a result of this. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.